this letter to the Philippians with this joyous salutation. Grace to you and peace from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But already, by verse 7, we hear of the challenging circumstances of, as he writes, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Consider for a moment the illustration that our work on the cover of your bulletin. The artist's name is lost to history, and so its title, it's usually titled The Letter to Ephesus, seems a little arbitrary to me. After all, the letter to the Philippians, the letters to Philemon and Colossians were all written during the same imprisonment, most likely in Rome, as the letter to Ephesus. That Paul, in this particular illustration, is depicted as being in a sparse cell, jail cell, chained hand and foot, is a far cry from what Luke records about Paul's house arrest at the end of Acts. Luke testifies that he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. If that was two years in his own rented house, what is this? Something has changed. Indeed, the change, the first hearing of his trial, may well be reflected in the opening words of our text. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, Paul writes. And then he speaks, I believe indirectly, about those two years when day after day, soldier after soldier guarded Paul in his rented house. As Luke records, his daily guards heard all that he said and that he did, they talked about it in their bulk barracks, became interested in the case, so that it has become known to throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest, he writes. Lenski is so bold as to suggest that, and all the rest, this can mean nothing less than Rome in general, the people of the capital of the world and the dominating military force, in, remarkable, in the remarkable providence of God through this lowly prisoner, Paul heard the whole story of the Gospel of Christ. Since the Imperial Guard had thus far acted favorably, all of this publicity was likewise favorable. No wonder Paul was joyful. Joyful and chains, the theme of this letter to the Philippians. Desmus, the word translated imprisonment in our text, is also the word for chains. And the artist may well be correct if, after all, if Paul's trial has begun and he's been moved from his house to a jail cell nearer to the courtroom where he will, his case will be heard, that would make sense. One last comment before we put this illustration away. Notice Paul has the pen in his hand. All four of the captivity letters were likely dictated to an amanuensis, a secretary, but two of them were signed with my own hand. So, the letter to Colossians and Philemon may well be the proper title for this little illustration. And while Lenski may or may not be correct about how far this has served to advance the gospel, we can be certain of what the Imperial Guard and all the rest were convinced, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul was not being held for robbery or theft, he was not a murderer or an insurrectionist. He was in prison for his testimony concerning Christ. In the ellipsis, the verses that were not read, verses 15 to 18, Paul speaks of some who also gave testimony concerning Christ 
out of envy or rival. He's perfectly fine with that as long as Christ is being preached. The circumstances don't matter, whether in chains or from self-ambition or even attempting to afflict Paul. It doesn't matter. And you and I should take comfort and direction from Paul's attitude. Preach the word in all circumstances, at every event, even if you don't know all the answers. What then, Paul asks? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul goes on when we pick up our text to express his confidence that no matter what, whether he lives or dies as a result of these legal proceedings, no matter what the outcome will be, it will be a good thing. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if we look around in our text to try to find the source of that confidence, you know, frankly, we're a little hard-pressed. We could appeal to other letters of Paul or to other sections of Scripture, but that may not be necessary if we are careful with the text, the original text. David Adams says that of all the parts of speech, the one that most accurately characterizes our generation would be the preposition. Prepositions are often the, the little words in the text, right? In or with, by or for, until or after. Prepositions define the relationships between two groups of words, and relationships are what we are all about. Adams even suggests we should call ourselves the preposition generation because it's got a cute ring to it. I'm not quite so sure about that. But it does point out our obsession, our concern for relationships. But translating prepositions can be a real challenge. In Hebrews, in Hebrew, many of the prepositions are only one letter, attached as a prefix to a word, Beth or Lama, for example. But what do they mean? Well, in my little Hebrew cheat sheet that I compiled out of the seminary, for Beth, Beth can mean, it can talk about location, in which case we would translate in or at or among. If it's used temporally, it means when. It can be adversative, in which case we travel against or despite. And I'm just getting started. I identified 15 different categories and 21 different translations for that. Oh, is it any better in Greek? After all, Philippians is a Greek text. And does it really matter make a difference anyway? Well, no, and yes. Prepositions are just as multivalent in Greek. They have multiple meanings. And yes, it really does matter. Remember, we are looking for the source of Paul's confidence. That life or death, for him, it really doesn't matter. The preposition in the eye of the storm we find in verse 13. We read, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and Christoi. The lexicons tell us that N can be a, quote, marker of cause or reason, so we translate it because of or on account of. Paul sits in prison because of his preaching of the gospel. Context is everything, and our translation is perfectly appropriate. The imperial guard knows that Paul is imprisoned on account of Christ. But Paul knows something more. He knows that even in prison, he remains in Christ. 
and Christoi. The lexicon also recognizes N as a marker of state or condition, so we translate in. Indeed, we would be totally correct to describe Paul's situation as in protective custody. That is, after all, how this imprisonment began four years ago, previously in Jerusalem. You recall the incident. Paul has arrived with the contributions that he collected from Asia Minor for the contribution for the saints. He's fulfilling his vow that he had made in the temple when, as Luke records, certain men from Asia cried out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law in this place. And a riot broke out. The commander of the Roman cohort sent soldiers down to rescue him, literally carrying him out of the fray on his shoulders. Protective custody. And from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and from there on to Rome, in every situation, Paul knows that he is in Christ. No matter what the circumstance, he remains in Christ. Recall the litany from his second letter to the church at Corinth, listing the lashes and rods and stones that he endured. Paul wrote, In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, in every circumstance, there remains this greater marker of state or condition. Paul remains in Christ. In Christo. So now, even in prison, it is not the fact that his chains that binds him. Oh no! It is the bonds of grace through the water of baptism that keeps him securely connected in Christ. Here is Paul's confidence. Here is an even greater overarching circumstances that holds him. As he writes, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And the same is true for each and every one of you. Everyone who is baptized into Christ remains in Christ. As Paul wrote to the Galatians earlier, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Christoi Jesu. You are imprisoned in Christ through baptism. Talk about protective custody in every circumstance. While you're getting a dressing down for a mistake you made at work, you remain in Christ. When you walk across the platform to receive a well-earned diploma, you remain in Christ. When the attending physician walks into the room with a very concerned look on his face, you remain in Christ. In silence, solitude, the graveside, you remain in Christ. In these and every other circumstance, Paul speaks to us. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Standing firm, in one spirit, with one mind, side by side for the faith, striving, and not frightened by, in anything by your opponents. A life worthy of the gospel. What does that look like? A fourth century church father suggests 
The summing up of one's whole life for a Christian is this. To conduct oneself according to Christ's gospel. To announce His grace steadily both to oneself and others. To have hope in Him. To do all that one does according to His command. Close quote. I think we can appreciate his emphasis on Christ and his gospel, the foundation of being in Christ. But there's more than Sunday mornings and daily devotions and quiet private prayers that comprise a life worthy of the gospel. In Christ, we care for creation. All of it. God once called it good, even now creation groans under the curse of sin. Sin that we brought. Caring for creation begins with our stewardship of natural resources. The horrors of the past week's wildfires have brought home the point we live within a dynamic, interconnected world. The decisions we make regarding forest management and floodplains and building practices are just a couple of examples of how our stewardship can and will be tested. In Christ means recognizing our footprint on creation and acting wisely with balanced foresight for our children's children. In Christ, we forgive as Christ forgave. We pray in the fifth petition, right? As we forgive those who sin against us. And our small catechism expands on this petition suggesting, so we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. But in practice, in practice, all too often I see us just walking away. Instead of confronting events, ignore it. We are culturally conditioned to be individuals lost in a crowd, but not in Christ. A life worthy of the gospel, a life in Christ, seeks reconciliation even as God did, even at the price of his son. And finally, in Christ, we encourage the saints. To whom can you reach out this week? Who needs to hear the voice of a brother or sister in Christ? This pandemic has robbed us of the simple gift of presence, but it dare not defeat us. What about grace and sincerity? A handwritten letter. Paul in his jail cell. Pen in hand. I mean, email is fine, and texts work. But after all, we began with Paul's letter to a congregation he dearly loved in Christ. Let us, who are also imprisoned in Christ through baptism, do likewise. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.